Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You are listening to Process Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter and on Untapped at Process Potables, as well as on Instagram at Podcast Potables Network. Check out our other shows, Pucks and Potables, covering the NHL and the Flyers, who just clinched the number one seed in the Eastern Conference for the NHL playoffs, riding the momentum that they still have coming back from quarantine, looking as good, if not better, than they did prior to the hiatus. We're keeping you up to date with everything that is going on with Flyers Hockey. Follow them on Twitter at PucksPPN. Powerbombs and Potables, our professional wrestling podcast, bringing you a new recap of the past week in professional wrestling television every Monday morning. And Popcorn and Potables, our movie podcast. Follow them at PopcornPPN. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out www.processpotables.com. You can also find our grades for the Sixers after every game for the entire Orlando bubble all the way through the point that they get knocked out. And who knows, maybe next year. I think it's been well-received so far. It's been a lot of fun on our end, and uh, I think that the content has been very good. So we will look to keep that going. You can find them again at www.processpotables.com. Process Potables is on tap. Cheers, everybody. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 67 of Process Potables. My name is Dan, joined by Steve. As usual, we just got done watching the Sixers in a very close game, surprising to us, against the Portland Trailblazers on Sunday night. Sixers, unfortunately, taking the loss 124-121, to but... A couple bright spots for the Sixers, which we'll definitely get to. The obvious concerning issue is the Joel Embiid injury and him not returning to the game, which we will get to that and much, much more as it has been a little while since we have been with everybody. Before we jump right into tonight's game, Steve, what's going on? How you feeling, you know, jumping back into things after uh, a little bit of some time off? Well, Dan, I have 51 reasons right now to be pissed off. But if there's one takeaway I have... Is that the Flyers are the number one seed, baby. We've been, you know, day one Flyer guys, and this is now a Flyers podcast. Um, Pucks and Poodles are just going to be talking the rest of NHL hockey. Is that my understanding how things are going now? So. Yeah, so actually, if you tuned in for Sixers coverage, <laughs> this is about as far as it goes. Yeah. We're actually going to spend the rest of the night talking about the Flyers. But, no, we, we will talk about our Sixers and incredible performances by Josh Richardson and Alec Burks trying to hold off a determined Damian Lillard who, as Ala Abdenabi indicated several times on this broadcast, you, you kind of felt like you were going to get punished for him missing those two free throws at the end of the game yeah. against the Clippers that they lost. And for sure that was the case tonight as Lillard went and dropped 51. 51, yep. 51, which I'm sure didn't surprise anybody 
friend of the podcast, Agri Marcherano, tweeted out before the game that the over-under for Dame Lillard, I believe, was 28.5. And when I got in there, it already jumped to 29.5. And and I took the over anyway, obviously. And he had 22 in the first half, so it felt safe. And then he ends up scoring another 29 in the second half to drop 51 and to clinch this game, albeit with, with some questionable calls down the end, if you ask me. But Damian Lillard has obviously earned the right to get some of those calls, and he gets them frequently, and he knows how to bait them and how to draw them and how to sell them and whatever you want to call it. And unfortunately, especially this group of Sixers, there's not really anybody who was on on the floor for the Sixers tonight once Embiid left that has earned the right to some of those calls or are savvy and veteran enough to, to get those kind of calls and in close games, and especially in the playoffs. you know Those are the kind of things it comes down to, unfortunately. And this team just doesn't look like they're going to have that. And without Embiid and Ben Simmons, it, it definitely seems like they're, they're going to struggle to close games, even if they manage to hang in them, which, again, I think we were all su- pleasantly surprised by. But I, I don't think that that's the norm going forward. You can't expect performances like Josh Richardson had go, going forward all the time, especially with how up and down he's been. I think if tonight's any indicator, it shows how hot he can get. But this is not the norm for him, and I will, would be very surprised to see him you know, scoring 30-plus multiple times, and especially when you look at some of the matchups coming up, a, a very uh, savvy defensive team in Toronto. You know, Houston has guys that can play defense. They're not known for their defense as a team, but they definitely have guys that can defend in, in Westbrook and Covington. It's not going to be easy, but at least tonight gave you some hope, and especially you didn't go into this game prepared to not have him beat. They do at least get a chance now to prepare if that is the case. I would imagine it's the case. We don't know anything for sure, but from Adrian Wojnarowski tonight, there are a couple um, of tweets. You know, They initially announced the MB leaving, and then he did announce that he would not return to the game. That's as much as we know as far as our recording right now. When we move to the Simmons injury, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski had, had a couple of tweets yesterday to give us a little more information on Ben. So initially, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Ben Simmons will undergo surgery to remove a loose body in his left knee, so he would be leaving the bubble to do so. A timetable on a return is forthcoming. And then later he tweeted, quote, While the Sixers haven't ruled Simmons out for the season, Sources say it would take a deep run into the playoffs to keep the door open on the possibility of a return, and that's still an iffy proposition. For now, the Sixers need to prepare for a postseason without Simmons. So, again, we don't really want to speculate on the Embiid injury, but what I would say is the fact that he came back out, at least, and was smiling and around the team, leads me to believe that this isn't the type of thing where he's out for the rest of the year as of now. Being the fact that they play a back-to-back Tuesday and Wednesday and then Friday against Houston, I think it's probably very safe to say he doesn't play the next two. And then maybe you just give him Houston off as well because you, you're at that point you probably are where you are, barring how the standings look, and we'll get to them as well. But I guess, Steve, my question for you regarding the injury for Embiid and Simmons is – you know, t- take the duration out of it and just look at this team without one and without both. And, you know, if you had to choose only one going forward that you think, you know, you could maybe get by better without, which one do you think that it is? Oh, I I, th- I think it's, it's Simmons is the one that you can get by without because I, 
I, I love Ben Simmons just as much as anyone, but all all of his games from the restart leading up to his injury, he I don't know what it is, man. He just he didn't seem like himself, um, especially on the defensive end. He just had a lot of lackluster performances, and just the intensity just wasn't there. What we expect out of a guy who all year we've been you know, pleading that he should be in discussion for defensive player in a year. And I didn't see the defensive player of the year, you know, Ben Simmons version in any of these games. Whereas Embiid, you've been getting, you know, even in their um, their loss, the uh, the other, I believe it was a loss in Indiana. I mean, he still put up over 40 points and he's just, tr- and I think when I last checked before the, uh, tonight's game, he was averaging over 20 and 10 for you know all of these games, and you're getting that same uh, production out of Embiid, um, and on top of that, we're seeing uh, at least uh, the one improvement uh, we've been wanting to see is his ability to pass out of double teams. You've been seeing that at least once a game where he has like just a really like laser of a pass from the other side of the court to someone that's wide open, and you know Embiid just you know with that little bit of improvement versus Simmons just. I don't know if maybe it was something with his back. Maybe he's not 100%. I don't want to speculate on that, but it's just not a good sign seeing his play leading up to that injury. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up and be passing out of the double team. That has definitely been one of the most promising things we've seen, not only for what's going forward as far as this season, but for his growth in the future, because that's something we've been concerned about for years now since he's become the guy that deserves that double team. We've needed to see him adapt and we've talked about, you know, guys spacing the floor and having shooters, and, and we can argue whether those pieces are actually still in place, but it definitely seems like it's at least a little bit better than it was, and him coming back out of this quarantine looking like he really had a sense of where guys would be, where they should be, and being willing and able to make those passes was very, very promising. So that was something I think we were all very happy about, having seen Joel out there playing heavy minutes, dominating, and also making that improvement to his game. I think I agree with you that I would think they have a better chance going forward if they had Embiid and not Simmons versus Simmons and not Embiid. Obviously, this has nothing to do with all the bullshit conversations about splitting them up. Neither of us are there. It's just a matter of I think that they need Embiid. Embiid could get them to a second round, maybe even a third round on his own. And I'm not that confident that without Embiid, but having Ben, that I feel very confident about them getting out of a first round. I think their chances are better if they have Embiid. But obviously, you know, in a perfect world, you have them both. Looking to what we know they will have tonight, we saw Josh Richardson and Alec Burks carry the team. But looking at it less in a tonight's game sense and in more of a, you know, they're 3-2 and two in the five games in the bubble so far, you know, how how do you look at the at the top of this you know rotation that the Sixers are going to have to go with going forward and and the expectations? I guess we can start with Josh Richardson. I know you kind of had a, a take, and I don't know if this was a little bit of a bit or not on your end. This was obviously before tonight's performance, but you were not very thrilled with the way Josh Richardson was performing, taking tonight in the consideration, but also the other four games so far. Where do you kind of sit now looking at Josh Richardson going forward, especially if it's going to be in a increased role? Well, it's very encouraging. Uh, I mean, defensively, he largely, between McCollum and Damian Lillard, it's not fair to expect him to just shut either one of them down. And, Dame, you know, he's just going to get his. And we, how many times have we seen, whether it's Josh or someone else, just contesting their shot and it's just it, it falls in and like that, 
especially in today's NBA game, that happens all the time. Uh, but leading up to these games, it just seems that there's a lot of times Josh made some bad reads on defense and then on the offensive end, a lot of times it seemed like he would force shots or or passes that would result in turnovers, which is really frustrating. Um, but tonight he definitely had a hell of a game. What Did he finish with 34 points it was, I think? And just shooting the lights out from three. 34 points, six assists, five rebounds. 13 of 20 from the field, 6 of 10 from 3, uh, 3 turnovers. He was a plus 1. So it's encouraging. And I, what I've kind of noticed is in all these games, for, for Josh Richardson to get going, he just needs to have a couple possessions in a row where he scores some buckets. And, you know, we've said before, he's really the fourth or fifth option offensively in the starting lineup. Uh, so he's not really going to get his numbered call, but it seems like when he does get his numbered call and or you know he creates his own shot, it seems like once he gets going, he he's a factor and he's a threat on offense. And I would like to see Brett, you know, if he instills that confidence in Josh to give him a little more, you know, um, scoring opportunities and you know with both Embiid and Simmons out of the lineup for the foreseeable future. I mean, he's going to have to do that now, but not that I'm expecting him to have. 30 plus point games going forward. But if he can get us like a good, you know, 18 to 20 in their absence, like I'll, I'll, I'll feel much more confident and uh, less critical of him. I agree with most of the things you said. I think we both agree that he is the type of guy that needs, you know, a little more opportunities when you're talking about this team as constructed, when you have the stars in that, I think if you expect him to contribute more consistently, there has to be a concerted effort to get him a couple more touches than he was getting. That's just the way that he kind of plays, and and his most successful position so far was last year in Miami where he was like the primary option, and we're seeing in select times this year when he does look like more of the primary option in this offense that he does thrive and look a lot better, obviously tonight being the, the shining example for that. What I would say that I don't agree with you on is going forward, if we're talking about and. Embiid and Simmonsless Sixers, eighteen to twenty from him will not be enough because no. somebody's got to supplement that scoring. And so far, I mean, Tobias Harris, this wasn't the best game for him, but I think he is one of the guys that is so used to playing his game off of both Embiid and Simmons that it's fair that it would be a bit of an adjustment without them for him, maybe more than anybody else. And like we've been saying, well, I've been saying, but I think we've all agreed via most of our write-ups that you can, again, find at www.processpotables.com, that even when Tobias doesn't have his shot going, he's finding other ways to contribute. He's made a concerted effort to be a stronger rebounder in some of the games where his shot isn't falling. And it still seems like, you know, usually early his shot hasn't looked great, but then come the end, he's still knocking a couple down when it matters to keep them in game. So if you just look at the box score and see 7 for 19, I can see how you would be disappointed. But when you watch... And you realize that, okay, he might have missed three or four early on, but you know a couple of those seven were yeah. you know, when we were trading buckets at the end to stay in it and some timely threes and, and things of that nature that I think you have to take into consideration when those makes are coming and how important they are. Yeah, it's funny how you say, too, about how him playing off Simmons and Embiid really helps his play and got in the fourth when you have Mike Scott at the five and you know Alec Burks and you know Shake just – Align with Glenn Robinson, the third just lineups you we've never seen before. I mean, it, T- Tobias was kind of you know 
he wasn't really didn't have much of a presence, if at anything at all, in the second half. So yeah, I agree. If we're looking, you know, we'll t- we'll talk about a couple of the depth pieces in, in a bit. But you know, we talked about Tobias, we talked about Josh. I think the third guy that you really tie that into then becomes Al Horford, who I expect will will be starting probably regardless of Embiid's health, because I think he's going to continue to start alongside him without Ben Simmons. But you know that could change. But as of now, it looks like that's the case for Brett. And Horford's had back-to-back pretty solid games tonight, going for 15 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds, 6 of 9 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3, including a timely one there at the end to get them in the opportunity to be able to foul and, and, and look for a bucket at the end to tie this thing, which obviously wasn't the case. But but he did all that tonight in, in 22 minutes, which we, we've been seeing him play a lot more minutes, and you would have thought with Embiid out that his minutes would have been even heavier, and somehow they were able to manage that and... Again, we talk about, you know, maybe him being a little bit light in the fuel tank and the time off maybe helping him as he's looked a little bit better coming back. But he's going to have to play a lot more minutes. Richardson played 38 tonight, which is a lot. But again, he was the hot hand. And I'm sure that was probably, you know, him kind of calling his own number two. And then we go down the line here. So the next person that you would look to, which is somebody people were already looking to prior to any of these injuries, was Shake Milton, who I thought prior to the Embiid injury, but knowing about the Simmons injury, that this was going to be Shake's chance to really get back to what he was doing prior to the hiatus because you figured the biggest adjustment for him was having to play with a another ball-handling point guard like Ben Simmons. And, you know, we can get it. We don't need to get into the whole, you know, Ben was playing the four and he wasn't the point guard or whatever. Like, there were still plenty of times where Ben's bringing the ball up. So that was going to be an adjustment. And we saw Shake obviously struggle the first game, came back pretty strong, the second game hit that game winner, and since then has has mostly looked okay. It's serviceable, but it's obviously not the the player we were kind of hoping he would be. The field goal attempts haven't really been there, and definitely the, the scoring hasn't been there for the most part. And so you figure, okay, Ben's going to go down. Now Shake should get back to that role. It's only two games, but we really haven't seen it. And one of those, you had Embiid, and everything should have been the way that you were used to, and then... Tonight you don't, and it's still more of the same 11 points, 2 assists, and, and that's it, 4 of 10 from the field in 24 minutes. So I don't I don't want to put the burden on him like I would a Tobias or even a Horford or a Josh Richardson, but you know they when your top two players are out, there's not going to be any one or two guys that, that supplement that. It's going to take everybody not making marginal increases. They're going to have to be substantial jumps in play and from what we've seen so far, I don't I don't have a lot of faith in some of these guys to do it. I, I believe Tobias can keep doing what he was, but I don't know if he can make the jump to do much more. Al Horford, I think you're getting pretty much the most you could hope for out of him already, so I don't think that those numbers can go much higher. Josh Richardson, again, we said what he did tonight was insane. You can't expect that, but definitely he could you know, maybe trend in that direction versus what you were getting from him on the season, that'll help get you there. The guy that easily can make the biggest variance in what you were getting versus what he can probably give you going forward, and we've seen it, is Alec Burks, who's going to be uh, the topic, I'm sure, of a lot of people in trying to figure out at least how they manage through the next two to three games entering into a first-round series with whomever they end up matched up with. Tonight, in 23 minutes, Burks goes for 20 points with five boards and two assists, 8 of 14 from the field. And we also saw from him going back 
Friday night scoring 22 points in 27 minutes. So, I mean, this is just a guy that can get his own shot. He's an absolute bucket when he's on. And when he first got traded here, we definitely saw the struggles. But now he looks like he's fitting in. It looks like they're adjusting to when he's on the court, being able to run some pick and roll, some pick and pop, things that fit his game. The same kind of thing we saw with Jimmy Butler, where it was a struggle for him at first because he kind of forces you to dictate your offense to a way that Brett Brown doesn't necessarily do. And it's one of those, you know, forcing a square peg in a round hole situations. And this has been one of the criticisms I've had of Brett. And we've always been a pro-Brett podcast. And I know we've both sort of trending the other direction. But one of my biggest criticisms is I think he can, I think he's very capable of making adjustments. I think he's a smart guy. I think he knows exactly, you know, what kind of adjustments you need to make. My concern has always been that he, he takes too long to make them and he really doesn't make them until it seems like his back is against the wall and then he does and they work and you're like why didn't you realize this sooner like that's the problem it's not that he doesn't know how to do these things he's very capable it's this kind of stubbornness to not do them until it's already kind of too late or it just feels like if you would have made this move sooner then you would have had a lot more success and put yourself in a better situation and I think Alec Burks is yet another example on Brett Brown's track record of being a little too late to realize what most people already did. Yeah, and that, and that all for me started uh, in our loss uh, to Indiana and TJ Warren just had that ridiculous monster game. And it was just like, at any point, are we going to tell Ben Simmons to get up on him or have someone else on the team kind of help him out and double team him? Like, we didn't see any kind of adjustment until late in the fourth quarter when it was too late. So looking through the rest of the guys who played tonight, Furkan Korkmaz, it seems like his role is already dwindling. He hasn't really had a great set of playing games, and I really can't make the case for him either. Uh, the defense definitely isn't there, and this is a team that's already struggling on defense, and he definitely hasn't been shooting well enough to offset that. So I think there's a very good chance, especially with the return of Glenn Robinson the third tonight, who didn't do much, but again, his first game playing since the exhibition ones prior to the bubble even starting. I definitely think that there's room for Glenn Robinson III to surpass Korkmaz and possibly take him out of his role entirely. Kylo Quinn saw five minutes. I think that that was a very open and and shut case. I'm not sure that we're going to see that going forward. We did see some Norvell Pell, short minutes from him as well. And we saw Mike Scott, kind of the first breath of life we've seen from Mike Scott in quite some time and actually you know his 15 minutes kind of show you that when you look at Pell and Kyle Quinn playing single digits that they actually late kind of went to Mike Scott as a small ball five center in small stints which could be something they experiment with going forward and lastly Matisse Thibel I want to talk about Matisse but the Mike Scott thing is interesting to me and Steve I want to ask you this question going forward assuming Embiid is out for at least two to three games if not more do you think that there's a better chance that we see a a staggered, somewhat, you know, uh, rotating door of Norvell Pell and Kylo Quinn? Or do you think that there's a chance that Brett experiments with more small ball fives and kind of just rolls Al Horford and Mike Scott out there as, as really your your center combination? Oh, it's, I definitely think he's going to experiment more with Mike Scott and uh, Horford at the five. Um I'm just trying to think who they're – I mean, when they play against the Suns and Raptors, you know, having a small lineup like that's not going to bode well for you. But when they play against uh, 
the Houston Rockets and starting center Robert Covington. That may be a very ideal. And like you said earlier, by that point, it's just the seating isn't going to matter. Maybe they keep him beat out, and maybe hopefully Brett starts to tinker and experiment with the lineup a little bit. Maybe that game, that's where you see the more um, experimentation. I also wouldn't be surprised if maybe he gives Norvell a few more opportunities, you know, nothing more than eight or ten minutes. Uh, like you said, the door shuts definitely shut for Kyle O'Quinn, who just took two really stupid three-point attempts. Just for a guy who just has been getting no playing time or anything from Brett to have that kind of performance, like, was just like, all right, dude, that that that's why you're not playing. Yeah, they talk about his, like, I know he's a good locker room guy, and I'm sure he has some leadership qualities off the court, but, like, when you're a guy who's not really getting playing time and you're a center who's really not known for much of anything and you get thrown into this opportunity where, they're, you're, you know, you're fighting this team, you're playing a really tough game, and in five minutes you jack up two absolute garbage threes, like, I, I've we've seen him hit them. We know that, like, they just want guys to shoot, but, like, those were not plays within the offense. Like, I don't know why this guy has this, like, character default of, like, he's got to get in there and jack his shots up. And of yeah. all the shots he's going to choose, being, like, a 6'9 center, he wants to take threes. It's it's It truly doesn't make any sense to me. And there's definitely, like, I don't know if it's it's almost a shot at, like, Brett for not playing where maybe Brett doesn't play him because he goes in and jacks those shots. And when Brett has to go to him, he's like, screw you, I'm going to take them anyway. And then... You know, you see it. Yeah, he gets not, five minutes, and then Brett's like, all right, fine. That's what you're going to do. Sorry, you're out again. Yeah, I know beforehand we were very down on Mike Scott seeing much, if any, playtime come to playoffs. But, I mean, obviously it goes without saying, you'd much rather see Mike, shot, uh, Mike Scott take those threes than Kyle O'Quinn. And, yeah, it's it's the same thing so. with Furkan Korkmaz. And, you know, we were watching this game tonight, and you heard, I mean, it was back-to-back possessions. You heard me say Mike Scott pulled up like an 18-foot baseline mid-range two, and I'm like, that's not the shot that I want from Mike Scott. He comes down the court on the next possession, and he pulls up a three and knocks it down. It's like, that's the shot I want from Mike Scott. You know, if Mike Scott and or Furkan Korkmaz are going to have to play, me personally, I'm fine with them being in there, and I'm fine if they're shooting threes, even if they're not making them. I don't like when they try and do the other stuff that they're not good at, and it's ugly and kind of throws off the rhythm of the offense. If, If you are going to play... At this point, and even if it you know was with Embiid and or Simmons, like know your role and do it. Stop trying to to do the things that you are not meant to do. It's like I don't expect Alec Burks to go out there and guard Damian Lillard. I expect Alec Burks to go out there and basically score a point a minute. That's fine, and he can do it a number yeah. of different ways. Good for him. Do what you want. That's you're a bucket. The other guys aren't. Yeah, and I know we've definitely have our uh, us and many others have had our. Uh, criticisms of Mike Scott, but he's definitely someone that knows his role. And even late in a fourth quarter, I think one thing I kind of noticed that a lot of people probably wouldn't pick up on was that he was a defending Nurkic who had five fouls. Now I'm not sitting here telling you he shut him down defensively and didn't give him any space, but he played him tough to the extent where Nurkic was like, all right, I got to play conservatively. This guy's being aggressive because he knows I have the fifth foul. And it's just Mike Scott kind of playing the role of, like, the agitator. So, and, you know, him being at small ball five, like, he knows his role. And I think, you know, when it comes to playoffs, that's what Brett Brown's going to go with. I agree. And that goes – it's a little bit different, but it does go back to that, you know, savvy veteran thing I I gave Dame Lillard so much credit for about the way he bait people into fouling him and get those calls. Like, Mike Scott, at the very least, is a guy who understands those nuances. 
he's not a guy that's going to get a lot of those calls or whatever. But to your point, you know, he's very conscious of the fact that there were five fouls and that, you know, that means that he has an advantage in that situation and he's using that advantage. So it's a very good point by you. I want to talk about Matisse Seibel as he's the last guy. I think we really have to talk about his role going forward and what we expect. But first, before we do that, a word from our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856-904-5636. That's 856-904-5636. And mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. All right, so the last guy I want to talk about here is Matisse Steibel because although I know that pretty much all Sixers fans are infatuated with him, Obviously, ourselves as well. You know, very excited that he's a Sixer. I, I've been very critical of him and pretty open about just as far as his play on the court and how much I think is it's really fair to expect of him as a rookie in the playoffs and as a real contributor. But tonight was really an example of, of what you're going to have to ask him to do. Again, this all comes back to the injuries. If we're talking about healthy and beat healthy Simmons, I still think I'm of the belief that I really wouldn't want to see Matisse playing much, if at all in a playoff series, but if we're going to get down to what we have available right now, I think they did a good job of using Matisse effectively in this one. He still looks completely lost on offense, and there were some real ugly possessions like the one where he stood in the corner for about 10 seconds and then ran a real lazy baseline cut, and the pass got picked off. And I, I was complaining in real time about the fact there was just five guys standing outside the arc, and then... You know, he uh, there's another play where he goes in and he gets like two different chances on offensive rebounds and he's like batting the ball instead of just putting it up. And luckily, Alec Burks bailed him out with an offensive rebound and a mid range shot, which again is what Alec Burks can do. But Matisse played 33 minutes tonight. He did have nine assists, but only two points. I'm sorry, nine rebounds, but only two points, three assists, one of three from the field. Did not take a three. So you're talking about a guy who spent. I don't know, 20 of that 33 minutes standing in the corner didn't shoot one three-point attempt. And the block and steals, I mean, you wrote, we're going to have to figure out some kind of Gordie Howe hat trick version for this. I love it. It's great. And we saw Brett trusting him to match up with Lillard and McCollum late in this game. And, you know, Dame baited him a little bit here and there. And they just kept running screens and he doesn't really have the, the strength or anything to fight through those yet, especially a, a very nuanced pair of guys doing it in Nurkic and, and Lillard who, who just make you pick your poison so much with that. You know, they're great at it, so you have to give them their credit. But, I mean, that's the kind of thing they're going to have to let this kid expel his energy on is, for, is let him hound a guy, let him frustrate a guy. Obviously, that's not easy to do with Dame Lillard, but there are probably guys in a lot of these playoff matchups that you could stick him on you know, you look at a Miami team, you look at a Kendrick Nunn or, um, you know, maybe even a Jimmy Butler to an extent. But, again, you know, I don't really like the idea of him on, on savvy veteran guys who get calls. Yeah. Um, you know, or Duncan Robinson maybe. You look, you look at a Boston team and a guy like Gordon Hayward uh, potentially or, or even a Kemba in spurts. You know, I, I think that those are, are, t- are times that he can be – useful but my concern is on the offensive end and especially without a guy like Joel Embiid man like if if you end up in a first round series without Joel I 
It's not looking good. I, I, you know, it's all probably semantics because what does it matter anyway? But I really don't think that Matisse's defense outweighs his offense in a in a playoff series because of the fact that transition opportunities get cut down so much, especially when you're looking at teams like Miami and Boston specifically. Like they're not teams that are going to have a lot of turnovers. They have guys that can handle the ball. They're they're comfortable in their offenses. They're very efficient in their offenses. I'm just not sure that Matisse, as great as he is, is going to be able to cause the kind of havoc that some people may think that he can in a series like that when it becomes much more of a half-court offense and half-court defense type of thing. And we've seen that you know, he, he definitely holds his own there. He's definitely a plus player, but is he is he changing the game and also being you know an average player on offense? No, he's just not there yet. Can he get there? Sure. I believe in him still. I have no issues with that. It's not a knock on him going forward. You know, the the sophomore jump is a huge thing in this league, and he's getting a lot of valuable playing time and opportunities, but I I just don't see it coming in in these playoffs or or possibly even, you know, the the final three games of this bubble. Yeah, and it's it's driven me nuts when you mentioned earlier there was a lot of times where when you see uh, Mike Scott playing a uh, small ball five, they were playing five out, and Matisse was just standing there, just having no clue on what he's doing. And the other thing, too, is uh, the amount of turnovers is troubling for most games with him. I mean, tonight he had two turnovers, and he had three assists, one block. Well, you know, blocks don't always result in turnovers itself. So, you know, those two turnovers mitigate, you know, those two steals that he got. And it's just a lot of times his defensive output's great, but it's not, you know, it's almost completely just offsetting his mistakes he makes on offense. And unfortunately, the Sixers just, there's no other option. He's going to have to play through these mistakes, which is probably going to cost us some games or, you know, be part of why we lose games in the playoffs. And, you know, I don't think they can – they're definitely beyond the point where they can sign anyone, and I don't know if there's even anyone off the street you could sign. So it's just going to – it's going to be unfortunate. It's going to be a bumpy playoffs uh, for Matisse Thibel, and, and I'm not confident that he'll have have a better sense of his role offensively. But like I said, if he can get us two steals, two blocks, no turnovers, and he can hit one wide-open three – that's fine. Like that's that that's my highest ex- expectations out of Matisse Thibel. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair baseline. But again, those numbers won't be enough to to really oh, no. impact anything. And that that's my concern. Is I think some people still are viewing him as this guy who's actually going to be able to impact the playoff series, like be maybe like a an underdog X factor kind of guy. And no. he's not. He's really not. It's unfortunate. You know, next year maybe. This year, no. I think just what it is, dude. Too is like in the beginning of the year, he shot at some point he was at like sixty percent. Yeah, it was three. crazy. And we and we all knew like this is not going to last. It it's just yep. not. And it's be, I feel like because of that, people have already forgot the reason we trade up for him was because his ability to play defense and his athleticism. He yep. he is not you know an offensive talent. He has a lot to learn and develop from that point. But it just seems like people have already forgot that and how these unreasonable or too high of expectations from yeah and the fair thing for him you know get harping back on this is that it's not like he fits the mold of every other Sixers draft pick that was an elite college shooter and came here and forgot we knew he was a project (laughs) yeah so this shouldn't surprise anybody It, it, it was the outlier of how great he was shooting when he came in that kind of 
screwed up the expectations and the bar, I think, which you know, I understand, but you have to take those things for what they are. So looking at the standings, the Sixers are still in the sixth seed. They are a game behind Miami and Indiana, who are currently tied. At this point, there's there's really no way that you're doing anything about about Boston, Toronto, and Milwaukee. So they're going to be one, two, three at this point. So basically, you're looking at either playing Miami or Boston. So Steve, with what you've seen so far, and let's assume you'll have Embiid back by then. You know, the next three games, whatever. If you have your choice right now between a first round with Boston or a first round with Miami with Embiid, do you have a preference in who who you play? Do you think they sh- they match up better with one against the other? Do you like their chances against either and it's just bring me whoever or do you think that they're screwed either way? <laughs> I kind of think they're screwed either way. I'm probably leaning towards Boston a little bit only because I'm thinking of thinking of the matchups of Embiid versus um Tice. Yeah, Tice and um Cantor. Cantor versus uh Miami. They have a uh, Adebayo. Um he's de- definitely way better than either of those. Kelly Olinick. Kelly Olinick, who, you know, seems to have our number at times. So I'm leaning towards Boston. The the kind of good thing is because we're in a neutral environment and I don't care that they have the the music and the advertising and all that reflective of what they have at home games. Like it's not going to feel like a home game. So at least a home court advantage isn't really going to matter. So, yeah, but I think to that point, the problem is, is it's also not going to feel like a home game for the Sixers. And those are the only ones they can win. That's true. So yeah. They don't even get the advantage of the few yeah. games they would have. At Hence home. why they're screwed either way. I right. Think, so I think that's very fair. I, I still, I've been of the mindset for a while that I'd rather face Boston. And I still do believe that. And my rationale really is this at this point. I think that Boston has a more talented team, especially when you just look at the starters right now, because Miami has a lot of very young guys that are having good seasons, but you know haven't been there where you look at a Boston team with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward and Marcus Smart, who have all done this time and time again and yeah. together. And you bring in Kemba Walker, who doesn't really have the experience, but he's a vet, he's a great player, and he's not the head case Kyrie Irving is. That that's all well and good, but the Sixers have matched them pretty well this season, and they have a lot of guys that can be really streaky. Kemba Walker can get fifty against us. We've seen it, but we've seen them limit him too, especially at, while he's been on the Celtics. We've seen Jason Tatum have you know one for seventeen games and whatnot, and Jalen Brown having consistent nights. I think that if you play good defense and or that team goes a little cold you can actually have a chance against them where Miami, while I don't think all their players are as talented necessarily, I think they're just especially more consistent three-point shooters, especially when you look at having guys like Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson who and Tyler Hero even, who are very good three-point shooters and an athletic rim-running center and Adebayo who's going to run and beat up and down the court. Yeah. Again, even assuming we have him that I just feel like that's a team that I would expect their shooting to be fairly consistent where like the Celtics could get hot and absolutely route us, but they could go cold and drop a couple games. So I think those ebbs and flows kind of lead me to think we, we can match up better with Boston and also maybe catch them off. But I, I would probably lean closer to your we're screwed either way because <laughs> I also thought that Ben Simmons had actually kind of figured out how to play the Celtics and a lot of that had to do with no Al Horford there anymore. This is one of the only upsides to Al Horford this season was that he wasn't there anchoring that defense that would shut Ben Simmons down the entire time. 
But there is no world, it looks like, where we're getting him back for the first round and maybe not even the second. So uh, I don't feel great about it. The last question I really have for you, Steve, and, I mean, if you have anything else, we can definitely go for it. But we've talked a lot, you know, on Twitter, on the podcast, and and just in our own conversations as well about Brett Brown. It seems like the conversation is heating up as, as we see where this thing's going. And there's people that feel like, you know, the coaching change won't matter. There's people that feel like it do. There's been a, a pretty strong push, it seems, lately for Stan Van Gundy. Uh, as well as the always apparent Jay Wright rumors, as well as throwing your Mark Jacksons and and whomever, but is there is there any you know let, let's let's take the the standard conversation out of this for a second you know we don't we've had conversations on how far Brett has to get to keep his job can he even keep his job whatever whatever my question for you is especially now with the Embiid thing tonight if 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 you have to deal with not having Embiid, and not having Ben Simmons. And it completely screws up any chance you had. It, whether you thought they had a chance or not, they obviously had more of a chance with those two than they do without them. Is do you, What percentage do you give Sixers you know, management ownership, whoever you think actually makes the decisions? Because obviously we have no idea because their <laughs> organization is so fucked up. But you know, what percentage would you give Brett to be able to walk in there and say, Listen, what was I supposed to do? I didn't have the two best players on the team. Like, you know, is there any conversation to be had for that? That, you know, it's one thing if he went in and again dropped the ball with Embiid and Simmons and you're like, okay, somebody has to get this right. Or, you know, is there a point to be made that if he goes in there without both of them, how is that his fault? And how do you weigh what you saw and the expectation that they probably weren't going to win anyway, but that, that uncertainty that all of us have where you like, I don't care how pessimistic you are and how much you won't put it out online because you're one of those fans that always wants to be negative because the odds are you're right. And then you'll circle back to it to point it out. You can't deny that this team with this talent had some, some percentage chance to figure it out and win the whole damn thing. You could say it's 1%, or you could say it's like 20%, but it exists. This this is not a 0% team. So how do, how do you think they look at that with Brett Brown? If, if he has to go, let's say he goes into a first-round series and and either Embiid isn't available or, like, they don't play until game one and he tweaks it again and goes out and they get swept. Do you, what percentage do you give that they give Brett any benefit of the doubt that you can't fire him when the two guys get hurt, which is completely out of his control. So here's the thing. I think there's two major factors, and you've touched on one of them, the biggest being the availability of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons come playoff time. I think he has a much higher chance. I think he's more likely now to stay than get fired because how else? how's management or Ellen Brand or whoever the hell is in charge is going to tell him, well, you know what? You should have done more with less. And, again, from signing Horford to just not really getting other pieces that make sense and fit around both of these guys, I think it's really more on Elton. Um, The other thing I kind of from – I don't know how true this is. There's been some whispers here and there. But I also – with the whole COVID thing that we're not – you know, teams in the NBA are just going to lose money 
it's going to affect the cap in a big way. Are the Sixers going to want to fire Brett Brown? And I think after this year, they're obligated for two more seasons. Are they going to want to pay him? And then someone like Stan Van Gundy or for argument's sake, Jay Wright, they're, they're not going to come cheap. No. Um, and so unless you justify with someone's on Brett Brown set staff or another up and comer, uh, assistant elsewhere i don't see there's just a lot of reasons that it just wouldn't make sense to fire him um and i know a lot of people aren't going to agree agree with me but you can't ignore the financial impact of covid and you know it's not our money so yeah i i just and unfortunately at the same time i can also see you know what brett it's just not working out and we're going to move on go with someone else and you know, I, I don't see them, again, reconstructing this roster for fifth time in three years or however many times it's been. So I think it's more likely he, he stays. And I kind of want to take the easy way out and say it's 50-50. But push comes to shove, I think it's more like 60% he stays because, wow. yeah. And, again, this isn't – I'm not even asking for either of us to give what we think should happen. This is like what we think would happen. Mm-hmm. Based on all the situations. And the COVID thing is true, not only in the sense that you discussed, but just in the sense of, of everything. It's like, how do you judge any coach or organization on how they handled going through all this when it's so unprecedented? Yeah. Um, I don't think that the money thing is going to matter that much to them as far as if they have to pay Brett and another coach. Um, they're cheap, but I don't think they're that cheap. Uh, you know, that, that's not something that's going to play into the cap or anything, obviously, because it's the coach money, so... I, I don't think that that's a big issue, but it, it is definitely a factor that none of those guys will come cheap. And to your point about, you know, if, you know, they would go a cheaper route or get an up-and-coming assistant coach, I mean, that's the thing that that I'm kind of at. If you're going to switch the coach, I I don't want anyone from college. I don't want no. any assistant coach. No. Like, you know, I talked to Marty Teller about this for a pretty long time the other night. I don't know if I'm on the Stan Van Gundy train yet. But, like, that's the type of guy that I will at least, you know, hear out and, and, and entertain the idea of because he's a guy who has had success. He has coached in this league for a long time. He has coached big-time players. He has coached elite defensive centers like Dwight Howard. He has made conference finals appearances. Like, I need that because that's the whole point. You're not bringing in a coach to build things up anymore. You're not bringing in a coach to to play around and, and flirt with the playoffs. You're bringing in a coach to win a title. So I need a guy that already has figured a lot of those things out, and I need somebody who you know has been around the game and has seen examples of what we're going through and has the evidence and information to right. come in and present their case, you know, uh, you know, with examples and with proof, and say this is the plan, like this is what I can do. And if you've been paying attention to other basketball podcasts and the media in general. Like it seems like Stan Van Gundy not only you know is very familiar with with the league still, but he seems very very keen on the Sixers, and I feel like he's almost doing this like propaganda tour mm-hmm. to get his name circulating in it. And again, I'm not sure how I feel about him, but I sure love that he seems like he's trying to fit his way into the door, which means he wants it. And I don't believe you want this job unless you actually have a plan 
that you think fixes it. Will it? Who knows? Yeah. But I have to believe that he has some idea because everything he said has been very pro Ben and Joel. So I don't think that his intention would be to come in and split it. I think he believes he has some way to make it work. And that's what I want more than anything. Right. No, I definitely agree with you. And it drives me crazy how it seems like the prevailing reason why people would want Stan Van Gundy is because there's a lot of stands for Stan Van Gundy on all of his, like, political takes and Twittering. And before he, like, became relevant on Twitter, everyone, like, hated the guy and wouldn't give him a chance. And now it's because, you know, it's like the, the popularity you know, on a high school level, you see on Twitter sometimes. He's like, oh, I stand, stand. Yeah, I would love him to be next coach. He definitely but, seems like, like a boomer that has yeah. has started to appeal to millennials, and we're all like, mm-hmm. all right, cool, like you're in. And so in that regard, yeah, I like him, but I, I'm still not sure about the basketball Yeah, part. but but for all the reasons you just said, it, it makes sense. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I can also at the same time, I can't sit here and tell you who else they should get. I – I really don't know. And, dude, hey, uh, the Flyers, uh, was it Vignol? Is that the? Alain Vignol. Alain Vignol. I can't can't pronounce his name to save my life. Uh, But apparently he wasn't that popular of a pick, my understandings, when they were hiring him. And look at them now. So sometimes the, uh, you know, the popular pick isn't always the, uh, you know, the worst. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I can kind of get behind that, too. I, I definitely think that the the noise is going to get louder, especially for a Stan Van Gundy. For the names that we mentioned, I mean, I, I, w- I would definitely take Stan Van Gundy over Jay Wright and Mark Jackson. Uh, Mark Jackson is so far down my no, list, it doesn't even, oh it's not even fucking funny. Yeah. Um, I would take Jeff Van Gundy before Mark Jackson, and that's yeah. telling you something. Um, Jay Wright is intriguing, but one, he's not leaving Villanova. He's no. He's going to die there. Um, and two, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in a college coach with, with this team on, on the, the brink of needing a title uh, to come in for his first rodeo. So. Yeah, and dude, if, like Jay, Jay Wright has been incredible with what he's built Absolutely. out of Villanova. It's not but a there's a huge difference getting these, like, you know, incredibly talented freshman college players. Then you're going to have to deal with Joel and Ben. Yep. If there's only one college coach that could do that, and it's Coach K. And he ain't ever leaving Duke. He's he's going to die there. Yeah, I so even, I don't even know I, if he could do it. But uh, no. I, I guess I'll agree with your point. I mean, I, I yeah, only because if we're of having this that team conversation, USA, I, you know, yeah, presence and but that's also but, like a thing that people volunteer for. I would I would say to you're probably right, but my counter to that, if we're going to have the who could do it, Jay Wright or Coach K, especially when you're talking about a, a pair of young superstars like Embiid and Simmons. It might be a little easier for a guy like Jay Wright to really? relate with them than a coach. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just gonna. He, he, I think he would understand how all this, how they they work, and and what their mindset is more than coach. Like Coach K is gonna come in and implement like a system, and that's it. And I don't think he's gonna have any leeway or be versatile or you know really flexible. Where I, I think Jay Wright is, is is very very smart and very adapt. You know, he will adapt, and I think that he would at least play ball. With them, you know, if push came to shove, he's obviously going to start creating his culture and, and what have you. But I do think that if you're asking who Embiid and Simmons could come in and kind of connect with more and possibly maybe, like, re, you know, put a little uh, pep in their step or whatever, I, I actually think it would be Jay Wright over Coach K. But um, I get what you're saying. It, that's that's actually a pretty yeah. interesting conversation uh, that, that maybe we'll have to have. It, you know, if Brett does get fired, then I'll entertain that conversation. But until then, uh, it's all kind of semantics. But... The uh, I forgot actually the last thing that I wanted to talk about was the if anybody 
caught it before it got deleted was the NBC Sports Boston, uh, Kendrick Perkins, and who's that fucking idiot? Is it Scalabrini? Yeah, that they think, have yeah, on he's there. Their color commentator. I that think. they they yeah. they felt the need to address in, in the post game coverage of of them needing to go to overtime to beat the Orlando Magic, mind you, which mm-hmm. is what they should have been laughing at. Instead, they decide to announce that Joel Embiid was injured. And first, whoever is the guy that, that's running the show says, all right, well, Embiid's going to be out for a while. And, it's, and then, at least to the credit of, I think, Sal Brini, he's like, you don't know that. And it's like, yeah, you don't know that. You literally don't know anything. So, like, shut your mouth, first of all. But then, of course, Kendrick Perkins, who's a stupid fucking asshole and has been addressed enough by everybody at this point, but still, he's sitting there laughing. They're they're showing the wrong clip of yep. him of him where he got hurt. They're showing one where he didn't get hurt, and they're trying to find out where it was. Which no one on there is qualified to identify how you get hurt anyway. Number two, you can literally get hurt doing anything. Is this still something that we have to figure out that you have to see some kind of substantial evidence to have something? Hurt you? Like, are we not aware there are non-contact injuries? At they're this always point? the worst too, and they're always like you, the you worst. see that in both football and basketball. When it's an injury that doesn't look bad, you're like, shit, that's yeah. a torn ACL, MCL. Right. He's out for the next twelve months. Yep. Like, so they're showing the wrong clip, ugh. and then they're both laughing at him. And Kendrick Perkins is saying he don't want to play. I mean, you know what? Here, here's what I'll give you, Kendrick Perkins. I bet you want to play. But he ain't any fucking good, and you're too old, so you can't play. Yeah. So that's the difference. So why don't you shut your mouth and just disrespectful all around? Can you imagine the type of shit we would hear if Michael Barkan went on like post game and was like, ha, 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 Gordon Hayward broke his leg again. What a loser. He must not want to play. Can you imagine the pitchforks of all the white friggin' Mohawk Celtics fans wearing mm-hmm. wife beaters under their friggin' Larry Bird jerseys would be doing. Yeah, and, and before they would even do, bring any of that any of that up, it would always, oh, well, th- these are the guys that throw snowballs at Santa right. f- 50, 60, 70 years ago. So, yeah, it, dude, that drove me nuts. Them not showing the actual play where he got hurt. It's, it just remind me of some bullshit, like, Fox News commentary where yep. they, you know, have some stupid take, but they don't show you what actually caused this issue, like... Give Fox. me a fucking break, man. <laughs> Fuck Boston. Wow, Fox News in Boston? Are you are you trying to tie something together there? I can't believe it. Hmm. Does, does not seem like a Fox News town no. to me. All right, well, that's going to be it for us. Uh, stay tuned to our Twitter tomorrow. I was supposed to do it today, and I totally forgot, so it's on me. But uh, we do have the two uh, Summer Sixers shirts to give away, so I'll announce the winners uh, Monday at 11 a.m. I'll, I'll tweet that out, too, because I don't know how many people listen to this by then. But if you did enter that contest, then make sure you check to see if you won. If you didn't and you're hearing this sometime between, like, 6 a.m. and 10 a.m., which it should be up, then obviously go to our Twitter, retweet it. You need to be following Process Potables, Pucks and Potables, and Power Bombs and Potables. This should be out Monday morning. Power Bombs and Potables will have a new episode for you Monday as well. And we're going to try and figure out sometime this week to do Pucks and Potables so we can talk about the Philadelphia Flyers, the only sports team in Philadelphia, who are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and are looking primed to make a very deep run on the backs of Claude Giroux and Carter Hart and... My guys. Ivan Provorov and Kevin Hayes and uh, Andre Kubel and Joel Farabee and... All, all, all the guys we expected to uh, to be making noise. But, yeah, that's going to be it for us. For Steve, I'm Dan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And trust the podcast. Trust the podcast.